皆さんおはようございます兄弟たち,たちとして集まって礼拝する機会を感謝します、oh, wait we can do this in English awesome I mean, it's so good. I mean, actually, still getting adjusted to being fully understood in all conversations.、Uh, I arrived two days ago, still jet lagging, so woke up at 3 a.m. this morning, bright eyed and bushy tailed. So if I, you know, halfway through the second service kind of collapse, that's what that is.、Um, yeah, and, and actually getting used to driving here.、Um, so we drive on the opposite side of the road in Japan, and、um, even just this morning, I found myself. Uh, turning into oncoming traffic and signaling with my windshield wipers. So if you see a guy doing that, that's me.、Um, be careful.、Uh, it's so good to be here. A lot of familiar faces,、um, but a lot of unfamiliar faces, which is also really encouraging.、Uh, yeah, if you don't know, Jason Schaefer,、uh, I'm the pastor of the Grace Chapel Tokyo branch. So.、Um, Yeah, really, really good to be here with you all.、Um, this morning, we are learning from Acts 20, 17 through 38.、Um, so, after three years of laboring and church planning in Asia, Paul calls together the elders of the church of Ephesus, knowing he wouldn't see them again,、uh, to give them parting instructions to continue in gospel ministry together. So, this is the only major speech by Paul in the book of Acts to Christians. Let's read together、uh, Acts 20. Starting in verse 17、uh, to 38. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to, to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. In every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I v e received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know how these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all things, I have shown you that by working hard and in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here. We thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, Lord, forgive the sins of the preacher, for they are many. And Lord, bless this, the preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Paul's words here are truly amazing. Let's read together again, 22 through 26. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. That last part in verse 26, Paul is saying, when he's saying, innocent of the blood of all, he's saying, I have no regrets. So Paul is telling them, he's think, at, he tells them how he's thinking about his own future as a way to help the, the elders begin uh, to think about the new challenge that lies ahead of them. Paul is asking them to continue the, and carry on the ministry that he began in their, among them. Um, you can imagine with me their initial response. Wait, wait, Paul's leaving? Paul can't leave. <laughs> what do we do? Uh, is this a good idea? Uh, what if we mess up? As a parent, when your child is faced with a challenge they never experienced before, and they're afraid, what are some of the things you tell them? How do you approach the conversation? Um, so this is our first time back to the States in three and a half years, and our hope as a family is to go to a pool or a lake. Uh, my kids are really excited and yet also terrified. They're seven, five, and three. And I imagine as I'm trying to help them prepare for the fear of jumping in the water, I might say something like this. If you're afraid of going under the water, remember that time you saw me jump in the pool, how I closed my eyes and I held my nose and I kicked until I got to the surface. When you go in the water, do as I did. So each of my kids is, is different too, so um, my advice changes depending on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to my uh, oldest, Finn, I'll probably encourage him to challenge himself and take, take risks. If I'm talking to my second son, Gus, I'll probably tell him to slow down and think before he acts. <laughs> if I'm talking to my three-year-old Leo, I'll probably tell him, just don't run off with strangers. Um, I can speak specifically to each of them because I know them well. I raised them. This speech is, is similar. Paul has spent the last three years with these men. Uh, they have a lot of memories together. And as Paul instructs them to continue faithfully in the gospel ministry, uh, he invites them to remember the way that he did ministry he also anticipates the weaknesses that they have, and he speaks into them. So while this 
speech is directed towards church leaders, and there's a particular emphasis on pastoral ministry, Paul's words here are beneficial to the church as a whole. You see, in the book of Acts, Paul's words to the Jews are best represented by his speech at Pisidian Antioch in chapter 13. His words to the Gentiles are best represented in his speech at Lystra uh, in chapter 14 and Athens in chapter 17. There's a reason that the author Luke chose this speech to represent Paul's words to Christians as he was putting together the book of Acts. These are important instructions for every Christian to hear. Like Paul, how do we finish our course, this ministry we've received from Jesus? How do we continue in gospel ministry together? So in this passage, Paul exhorts the elders and the church to do three things. First, to proclaim all of God's word. Second, to protect the church. And third, to play out the gospel. So first, to proclaim all of God's word. Second, to protect the church. And third, to play out the gospel. So first, we must proclaim all of God's word. Let's read together verses 18 through 21 and verse 27. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then after verse 26, when he says, I have no regrets, in verse 27 he says, because I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul is saying here, just like me, don't shrink back from declaring all of God's word. Paul repeats in 20 and 27, remember how I didn't shrink back. So Paul's immediate concern here is, may have been that in the church, especially in its leadership, there was a temptation to water down or present partially the word of God. So he invites them to do as he did. So how do we know if we're proclaiming all of God's word? Well, Paul gives us, um, and them, some helpful guidelines. Verse 21, proclaiming all of God's word will lead to faith and repentance. Paul taught not only faith in Christ, but repentance from sin and idolatry. Christ offers forgiveness of sin and a relationship with God to the person who puts his faith in him alone for salvation. But we look, every every one of us looks to... um, a variety of things for identity, comfort, salvation, um, so many things other than Christ. To turn to Christ in faith is to daily turn away from these other things that contend for our attention and our loyalty. So who is God's word for? It is for both Jews and Greeks. Paul's point here is that it's for everyone. The word of God is relevant, persuasive, and challenging to everyone. To insular, conservative, devout religious folk, to the mainstream, pluralistic, cosmopolitan, uh, to both those who feel like they're on the inside and those who feel like they're on the outside, to those at the top and those at the bottom, to both good friends and entrenched enemies. God's word is for everyone. Verse 20 Where is God's word applicable? It speaks to both public and private affairs. The word of God speaks to issues of society in the public arena, as well as the issues of the heart uh, and the private life. 
It speaks both to our sexual, sexual ethics as a society as well as our personal tendency towards a, a judgmental spirit. In both arenas, it exhorts us uh, to not only, not, not only in what to start doing, but what to stop doing. In both, it both encourages us and warns us. Verse 18 and 19. Lastly, how is it proclaimed? While living alongside in all humility. You see here that Paul proclaimed God's word not only in words, but with his whole life. Not hiding anything, he experienced hardship. He was brought to tears and humbled the entire time he was sharing the word of God with them. He lived long life alongside them, and he didn't shrink back from declaring the word of God to needy, broken people just like himself. So at a local co-working space that I work at one to two days a week, uh, I made some friends, and this one friend who's a devout Buddhist she said recently she'd be willing to discuss religion and spirituality with me and a few other people. And so our conversation kind of began like this. She, right out of the gate, she's like, so as a Buddhist, don't you think I'm an idolater? And I was like, well, <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, as a Christian, we do believe that there's one God deserving of worship and other religions worship false gods. Um, but most major religions consider other religions to be an error. Muslims believe Christians are wrong. So, did, so does Judaism and Hinduism. And she's like, well, Buddhism is tolerant of other religions, which makes sense because actually it, it coexists side by side with Shintoism, the native religion of Japan. Um, and she began, I, so I said, yeah, please tell me more about Buddhism. Um, and she began to tell me about um, the belief of re- reincarnation. She said, well, if you don't follow the teachings of Buddha, after you die, you come back as a crow or a tree. I said, man, if you believe that's true, shouldn't you be telling everyone to follow the teachings of Buddha? I don't want to come back as a tree or a crow. This is important information to know. And she laughed. She's like, I never thought about that. I guess that's true. Um, And then I gave a simple explanation of the biblical story. I, I said that God created us uh, to reflect who he is in creation, and we rejected his authority, wanting to become like God. And the, the justice uh, that our rejection of God deserved, Christ, the God-man, came and took that upon himself so we might be forgiven and welcomed back into relationship with God. And ultimately, Christ is going to come back uh, and undo the effect of all of sin and all of creation. And... Um, I said, okay, next time I want to hear about Buddhism. And she said, actually, I don't know too much about Buddhism, but could you share with us next time about Jesus? Um, So I don't want to give the wrong impression. Unfortunately, for every time that I've not shrunk back, there are several times that I have shrunk back. It's a huge temptation in Japan as a missionary, even as a missionary where it's my job, uh, to shrink back from declaring all of God's word. Uh, it takes a long time to make friends in Japan as a foreigner. And so once you do, there's a temptation not to want to say anything that might risk those few friendships. Um, as a church, it's crucial that we continue to proclaim all of God's word to every type of person, leading to repentance and faith, addressing public and private matters with all humility, from one sinner in need of God's grace to another. So not only proclaiming all of God's word, but we must also... Uh, 
Number two, protect the church. Let's read together verses 28 through 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul's primary concern here is that is the protection of God's church in Ephesus from threats not only outside the church, but inside as well. Verse 29, Paul, Paul's con, uh, concern is that there were some in Ephesus, as soon as he was gone, would come in and begin to teach contrary to Paul and the scriptures. So anyone in the community who had previously opposed him uh, was likely to do this. But verse 30, what seems like a more important concern for Paul is that some of the very men present with him this day, uh, embracing him, weeping with him at his departure, had the potential to show themselves to be wolves as well, teaching contrary to Paul and to Scripture. How do we know this? Well, verse 28, Paul's explicit exhortation is for the church leaders to pay attention to themselves, to those already in the church, to each other. This is a bold statement. He wouldn't have said it unless it, he really felt it needed to be said. Um, but he knew these men, and he knew their tendencies. So what makes a, a teaching false or dangerous uh, to the church? Well, obviously, it, uh, if its content is contrary to the gospel. But from this passage, we can also tell dangerous teaching by the fruit or aim of the teaching. First, Paul says that wol- the wolves will not spare the flock. That is, false teachers will have little regard for the peace and the unity of the church. Second, the teaching will exalt the teacher in his thoughts rather than Christ and the gospel. Paul says they will draw disciples away after them. False teaching will be marked by a lack of concern for the community and a lack of humility. Okay, so when we find a brother or sister drifting from the gospel, from the word of God, what do we do? Verse 31, Paul says, Remember how I warned and corrected you for three years, night and day, with tears. So first, we must not be quick to wipe our hands and move on. We need to patiently persevere in warning them of their error. Second, do we warn with tears? Are we so concerned for them that we can't help but be moved to the thought, by the thought that they might be in danger? Paul not only calls us to pay careful attention to uh, to ourselves and to each other, but he, um, he tells them and he tells us to remember how he admonished uh, with patience and compassion. Um, so for the last three years, my focus has been uh, to focus on what are the concerns of the Japanese, what are the things that keep them up at night. Um, but even though I live in Japan, still unfortunately, I follow American news and social media, um, and the the ability to express different opinions, to listen to one another, to reason or debate, is all but gone um, in the news, and I don't know if it ever existed in social media. Um, 
certain news agencies have us angry at and searching for white supremacists and Christian nationalists in our midst. Other agencies have us angry at and searching for social justice warriors and communists. Uh, It's okay if you watch these news channels. I'm not saying uh, that we shouldn't be concerned about white supremacy or communism. But I'm just bringing it to our attention that um, the potential harmful impact these narratives may be having on our life together as the church and the fruit of the gospel in our midst. Harmful rhetoric in the church will draw disciples away from the robust, challenging, beautiful gospel to a simpler, expedient, easy to hear, and put into practice truth. We need to be alert not to, only to those outside, to the other, to them, but to us, to ours, to each other. Are we drifting? Are we slipping into the simple, line-drawing, pride-feeding narratives of the world? Are we drawing people to the gospel or to our tribe? I'm pretty sure most of the exchanges I see on social media aren't made with tears for the opposing person. Um, You only weep as you warm if the person is close and dear to you, sometimes so close that after much reflection, you come to find that the person in error is yourself, and then there's much weeping. So this doesn't mean that there isn't a place for protecting our community from wolves and false gospels outside, but, and it doesn't mean that um, to weep with patience uh, means that we soften or minimize the significance of the error when we correct. But I think Paul's emphasis here is for self-reflection, for taking responsibility for each other like family, and to correct in such a way that the other person is sure that we have genuine concern for them. Our protection of the church is to be characterized by compassion, humility, patience, and love. So not only proclaiming all of God's word and protecting the church, but finally, we must, number three, play out the gospel. Let's look at verses 33 through 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard In this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's current concern here is that the elders might pursue personal gain from ministry. Ministry might become more about accumulating and ensuring personal comfort. So he invites them to recall the way that he did ministry. Verses 33 through 34, Paul did not covet others' wealth or material possessions. He lived a modest life and provided for his own needs as well as the needs of those around him. Man, this is great, isn't it? This is, we should imitate this. Be content. Provide for yourself. But there's verse 35. He brings this up here not just to praise these virtues, um, but because there is a blessedness in pursuing a life characterized by giving to those in need. So, we're not talking about any type of giving. We're not talking about giving to Kickstarters or crowdfunding campaigns for cool technologies, though that's fun. But we're talking particularly about giving to the weak and the needy in our community. There's a real blessing experienced when we give um, to the needy. To constantly give away, we must constantly be satisfied in the Lord. 
We can only regularly love extravagantly when we realize we are loved extravagantly. We can give to the weak because in our weakness, God has given us much. Adopting this lifestyle, these habits, the gospel moves from head knowledge to heart knowledge and into our hands. We don't just receive from Christ, but gradually we're becoming like Christ and he's being formed in us when our lives are characterized not by getting and accumulating, but rather by giving and pouring into others. So while Paul is referring in the end here mostly to financial and material means, this principle extends beyond material compassion um, to the giving away of our whole selves, our time, our energy, our presence. So as a vocational missionary, my salary is paid um, by other Christians giving to our family. Many of the foreigners that come to Japan, though, to serve the church uh, and share the gospel, they get a normal job to support themselves and their family, and they spend the rest of their time, the little bit of time, energy, and money that they have to serve the church, the much, uh, the very needy church in Japan, very small um, We call them tent-making missionaries. Paul was a tent-maker, and he was a missionary. That's how he provided for himself. Some of the hardest-working, most joy-filled missionaries uh, that I've worked alongside are the tent-making missionaries. They choose to live this way because there's a true blessing in the giving of themselves um, to the needy church of Japan. So I'm not trying to, you know... uh, make a case against vocational missionaries. Uh, we're needed to. Um, but so the, the same here could be said for those who adopt or participate in foster care so that children without families might have a family um, or those who volunteer at the retirement home or in homeless ministry so that the elderly and the disenfranchised among us uh, feel cared for. As a church, we must play out the gospel by giving to those in need not just because it's a good thing to do, but because in doing so, the gospel moves from our head to our heart to our hands. We experience the joy of becoming more like Christ. We delight to give to those in need because we know that when we were most needy, Christ gave himself for us. Let's look at the concluding verses, 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, um, being sorrowful most of all uh, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to his ship. Man, what a great speech and farewell. Man, surely this did it. Uh, Everything probably went well for the church in Ephesus. Actually, it didn't. As many of us know, if you've read 1 and 2 Timothy, um, shortly after Paul's departure, the very things he was concerned about happened. False teachers arose from outside the church as well as within the church leadership. The nature of their error wasn't just the content of their teaching, but the fruit, that, the impact that it had uh, on the ministry and life of the church. It, Jesus, in his words to the church in Ephesus, recorded in John's Revelation, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love 
you had at first. Oh, man. Anyone else a little discouraged at this point? It's like, if the church in Ephesus couldn't carry out the gospel ministry handed to them, why do we think we can? I mean, they had Paul. Um, Verse 28. Let's look at verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is why. This verse is the theological center of this speech. Our triune God preserves his church. We will finish well together because we are his. As sons and daughters, we belong to the Father. Our lives were purchased with the precious blood of the Son, and we can enter into the ministry together because we are empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. So, several decades after these events, uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch, uh, while being transported to Rome for execution, actually, uh, wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And a quote from the letter is on your bulletin, the front front page of your bulletin. Um, Could I borrow someone's bulletin? I forgot mine. Awkward. Um, yeah, it says this. Ignatius, who was called uh, Theophorus to the church, which is at Ephesus in Asia, I have become acquainted with your name, much beloved in God, which you have acquired by the habit of righteousness, according to the faith and love in Jesus Christ our Savior, being followers of God and stirring up for yourselves by the blood of God, you have perfectly accomplished the work which has been beseeming to you. For your justly re- for your justly renowned presbytery, worthy of God, is fitting, is fitted as exactly to the bishop as to the strings are to the harp. Therefore, in your concord and harmonious love, Jesus Christ is sung, and man by man choir, uh, and man by man become a choir that is, that being harmoniously in love and taking up the song of God in unison. Um, so, anyways, this is a small excerpt. I actually, gave. Amy a massive excerpt, and it wouldn't fit on the bulletin, so we had to cut it. Uh, but I encourage you to read the rest of the letter. It's just full of so much, um, like, yeah, wealth, um, beautiful, eloquent words, and just encouragement for the, the church in Ephesus. Um, so in this letter, he commends them for their faithfulness, for their godliness, for their resistance to false teachers, and for their recovery of their first love. He especially commends the leadership of the church. So it was messy. It was not without trials and errors, but God preserved his church and its ministry in Ephesus. How can we finish well together? Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We can continue in this ministry together as the church We can finish well together with confidence if we cling to the word of his grace, if we look to and trust the Father who loves us, the Son who bought us, and the Spirit who leads us. As the church, together we must proclaim all of God's word boldly and yet with humility, leading everyone everywhere to repentance and faith in Christ. Together we must protect the church paying careful attention to ourselves and to each other, teaching and correcting with compassion, humility, patience, love. 
Together we must play out the gospel, giving to those uh, in our midst in need. Uh, In doing so, we are blessed. As those who've been given much, we give much. We experience the joy of becoming more like Christ, the one who gave himself up for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, We thank you for the life and ministry of Grace Chapel, uh, for the ways you have sustained and blessed this church and continue to do so. Uh, Father, help these brothers and sisters carry on in your gospel ministry together. Help us all to proclaim all of your word to everyone, everywhere, to all of life. Help us to protect your church by paying attention to ourselves and each other, correcting with compassion, patience, and love. Uh, Lord, help us to play out the gospel in our lives by giving to those in need, experiencing the joy of becoming more like Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to turn to you and your word. Though we are often faithless, you are always faithful. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.